Welcome to Beyond the Balance Sheet, the podcast that helps advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families understand the complexities of issues related to our mental, physical, and emotional well-being. Our co-hosts, Arden O'Connor and Diana Clark, will interview a series of guests on a range of topics, providing informative content and practical tools for professionals and families to consider. Here are your hosts, Arden and Diana. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Beyond the Balance Sheet podcast. Today, we're going to talk about a concept that I'm hoping our guests can elaborate on, which is relationship risk management, how to preserve family relationships while managing family wealth. I'm joined by Diana Clark, my co-host, and our esteemed guest, Tavin Peckett. Welcome, Tavin. Thank you. Great to be here. We're really excited. Just so our audience knows a little bit about your background, Tavin is the founder of Peckett Advisors, where he provides an array of management consulting services to wealthy families. He has advised everything from entrepreneurs, inheritors, and widows, helping them to control assets from anywhere from $20 million up to $5 billion. Previously, Tavin spent a decade as a CEO of a multi-generational family office, and he served as an executive of that family's operating business and a trustee of their family assets. He earned his college degree from Harvard College, his JD from Harvard Law School, and his MBA from UCLA Anderson. Tavin also enjoys donating time and money to gender equity, veterans affairs, democracy reform, and the environment. So welcome, Tavin. Thank you for joining us. Let's just start out with a very easy question. So Tavin, tell us a little bit more about you and how you became an expert in working with complex family wealth matters. Sure. I started out as a lawyer and uh, jumped to business. I was an executive with a couple of companies, one of which was a small company owned by a family. And the family started to ask me questions about their other assets and I ended up building and running a single family office for them. Uh, started to work with them and eventually with other families as well. You described in your bio, and we talked about relationship risk management. What exactly does that mean and how does the term risk management apply to relationships? Yeah, it's a little unconventional, I hope. Like so many others, I have seen uh, relationships go badly, um, even as far as family litigation. And I was very interested in not just the ways to manage those conflicts, um, and there's a, a number of those out there. You've had some excellent guests on this podcast talking about them, um, but wondering if there were ways to actually help prevent that kind of conflict. Um, and one of the issues that comes up is how people in this industry and the clients, the families themselves, uh, sometimes don't like to think and talk about those relationships and especially about the conflicts. So I started talking about relationship risk management, uh, as a way to bring the critically important assets of those relationships into something that the, the clients and the professionals were more comfortable thinking about, talking about, and ultimately managing. 
So on a practical level, Tavin, really, what what does that mean? Like, I, I can imagine what it means to manage monetary risk. But, you know, how do families think about what it means to manage relationship risk? And what are the challenges they may face as they think through that process? And maybe you can provide an example just to have the concept come to light. Sure. Um, you know, unfortunately, as a professional, there's nothing I can do to make everyone get along. But there are definitely some things we can do that make it more or less likely that they're going to fight. A lot of it comes down to priorities. Uh, hopefully for the family, their relationships are more important than making a little bit more money. Um, but often in the family office context and wealth management, we have some fantastic professionals out there whose job it is to um, earn higher investment returns and minimize taxes. Uh, but if you want to prioritize the relationships, you've got to make it clear that that's not always what we want to do. So my, the poster child for me is the concept of a family limited partnership, um, which is a very effective way to reduce taxes um, by locking everyone into a very real business partnership. Uh, and if the professionals have done their job well to minimize the taxes, they are going to take away everybody's control and liquidity. So now we've locked this family in, sometimes trusts for a two-year-old kid, uh, into a very real partnership that they can't get out of. Is that a good thing? <laughs> um, I wish things were that simple, um, but like all of management, it's art, not science. Um, and so it's about how we think about it. It's part of why I use the nomenclature of risk management. It's uh, thinking about the relationship risks along with the financial benefits, weighing them, talking about them. Um, and then making some decisions. And that process, in my experience, rarely happens. Um, we get some great tax advisors and the partnership is a piece of paper. And everybody says, great, it's gonna save us a lot of money, let's do it. And it's not until often years and years later that we see the reality. Um, so, you know, very different situations, for example, if there are minor children involved or trust for minor children versus uh, adults who can sit around the table and think and talk about it, and then it might be a fantastic answer. Um, but I'll throw in one last thing. Uh, often there are ways to get a lot of the upside of a structure like that without the relationship risk. Um, or at least with much less relationship risk. Can so, you give us an example of a family even? Sure. Um, I worked with one family years ago that faced this exact dilemma. The relationships were fine, but not great. Um, I would say they were better at being siblings than at being business partners. And 
very smart professionals came up with a great family limited partnership plan that would save a lot of taxes. Um, I pushed hard on this relationship risk uh, aspect and we ended up putting together some grats and other technical devices um, uh, that transferred a lot of wealth, saved a lot of taxes, not as many taxes or as much money. So there is that trade-off and you've got to think about the priorities like any good strategy. So when you think about families that have shared property or are in business ventures together, conflict and disagreements are bound to arise. What are some of the key elements that you can think of for a successful family mediation? Uh, <laughs> so my answer loaded of would, question. Be, <laughs> would be do everything we can to avoid that situation in the first place. Um, for example, some safety valves. Uh, so I know this isn't directly answering your question, but I, I'm going to plug the, the risk management aspect a little bit. Um, I think there's more conflict when people feel trapped and that they don't have an option. So coming back to some of those partnership structures where it's virtually impossible to get out, if they can get out, then they won't necessarily feel as trapped and the conflict can be less if they know they have a choice. Um, and obviously that age is also very important. Um, one of the keys to the successful partnership, of course, is that everyone's participation is knowing and voluntary. And there are few things less knowing and voluntary than an inheritance. Um, but that wasn't really, <laughs> that wasn't really your, your direct question. Um, so if we're in that mediation situation, um, a few things that I, that I would flag would be uh, an outside third-party professional, mm. like some of your guests. Um, the skill set, the toolbox they can bring, and just the fact that they're an outsider. I think all of us who, who counsel families have experienced situations where we'll suggest something often to a parent and they think it's a fantastic idea and in the background one of their children is ripping their hair out because they've been saying the same thing for 10 years. Um, and people just will, will often hear it differently from that third party professional. You gotta dig deeper than dollars, which isn't uh, probably rocket science to know that in a, in a family dispute. Um, but you know, often on the surface, people will talk about the business and the money, and that's not ultimately what's driving it. Consider some spousal issues. Hmm. Some, sometimes the people who are driving some of this aren't necessarily in the room, and that can make it hard to mediate. Uh, but a good mediator will walk you through all of this. No, I think it's a great point. And, and I think your point about being proactive to try and manage these things before, you know, what I call the proverbial car crash, it's a theme that we think about in our business as well. It's, it's ironic that we're in very different ends of the spectrum in terms of supporting families, but some of the themes are similar, which is it's always easy to help a family if they're not in the middle of a crisis. So if we can do some planning and anticipate some of the issues and be do some preventative support or, or create some kind of structure that makes sense, that can be helpful. I also love the point about the third party mediator. Oftentimes families are hiring us because 
their loved one is in complete denial about something and the family has been saying, you know, you drink too much, you drink too much, or you need medication, you need medication. And just the fact that someone comes in who is unbiased, who doesn't know the person, who takes a more objective stance rather than building in all sorts of other contexts, you know, you need medication and I can't stand that you did this when you were five type of thing. I think we see better outcomes and we see people who have been largely reluctant to change, you know, kind of embracing the idea of change. So I think both of those are, are great points. Um, Can you give us a sense of the types of families that you've dealt with in terms of scenarios? I'm thinking about, you know, something like the topic of grief. You know, we know from our work that grieving can look very different for different family members. And there can even be disagreements in a family about how do you manage grief? You know, I know in my family, we lost my brother, um, which was a hard process to go through. And my dad always talks to me about going to the grave. And I've had to share several times that I do that. But I also find there's other ways to remember my brother that are more powerful to me. So how, how do you think about, because it's a sensitive topic, and I think it can be a tricky one to navigate. How do you think about managing conflict and communication with families who are disagreeing over an inheritance or an estate or, or something like, you know, something as simple as what I'm talking about, something like the ways in which we interpret grief and deal with grief? That's a great question. Um, and I'm sorry to hear uh, about your brother. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, I think most of these questions could honestly, you know, the first answer is going to be communication. And it's trite and it's a word, um, but it really is the place to start for any number of reasons. But a few more specific observations. I think something I've seen a number of times is conflict that arises from uh, siblings assuming that uh, all the other siblings had the same relationship with a parent. Well, that's the scenario I was thinking of, but it could be uh, you know, a brother or whoever. Um, and then they expect everyone to act as if they had the same experience with that person. Let me give an example. You know, worked with a family with a very strong patriarch who was very hard on all of the children except, of course, the youngest. And when the patriarch passed away, the youngest was distraught and thought everybody should drop everything and do all kinds of things to take care of him when he was aging and then um, after he had passed. And the other siblings did not have that relationship with their father and didn't want to do that. And it caused a lot of conflict when, when one just assumed that everybody should want to put the same amount of effort um, into it. I don't know if that made sense, but I, I think you see where I was going at least. <laughs> yes. So I have a slightly different example I come from a family of fractured business. My grandfather and his brother-in-law started a business, and then you go down the next generation, and their sons were not able to work together. That seems like that could potentially be a pretty typical situation, leading to that old shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves in three generations. 
because the fracturing in and of itself was risk for their business. Yes. I want to, if I may, question one of the underlying assumptions that comes up in this context uh, almost every day. The assumption, often from the founder of the business or uh, the patriarch or matriarch of the family, that the number one thing is that the family stays together. And if we want to preserve the relationships, say between siblings or cousins, um, that might be in conflict with saying, no matter what, we have to keep this together. And, you know, sometimes this will, the, the family relationships and even the assets will be better off if there is a split. I don't want to call it a fracture. <laughs> um, that's probably going in a different direction. Mm -hmm. But I would caution against just the assumption that we have to keep everything together. That's going to be best for everyone. So that, again, is the safety valve. If people feel more like they have that choice to stay together in business, they're more apt to have better communication. Yes, and sometimes it's even better to actually split apart. And there's any number of family business uh, examples out there of successful split-offs where both businesses thrive. Um, I've also been involved in a few sort of spin-out family offices where one child, one branch, um, isn't getting along either from a relationship perspective or operationally, strategically, wants to be doing something very different uh, in terms of, let's call it wealth management, the family office operations, um, and very different results when the family says you're a traitor for wanting to split off and do something different, then if we can find a way to support that, and then we have two very successful family offices. Interesting. Anything else, Tavin, that you'd like to offer to our listeners as they're thinking through families they support? It could be an attorney, it could be you know, a wealth manager. I would imagine many of our listeners are nodding their heads in agreement with much of what you've said today. But I'm imagining one of the questions they have is, you know, this family came to me for tax advice or for legal advice or for financial advice. How do I get them to engage someone like you? And that, I guess, would be my question to you. Is what is the major motivation that a client would come to you with? And for the advisors listening, how would you encourage them to have clients consider pursuing a path of uh, managing relationship risk? Well, the first thing is to, as I said before, not bury our heads in the sand, to you know, get it out there, which can be a challenge. You know, I'd love to tell you that I am necessary to this, but I'm not. And in fact, I would love to set things up so that this becomes uh, part of the family office culture or your organizational culture if you're at a professional service firm, um, so that when somebody asks for that tax advice and you think about a solution like a family limited partnership, um, you can provide the same advice and counsel them to think about it. And that's a, actually a great way to start the conversation. Like, have you thought about some of the consequences of this tax strategy downstream? 
Um, and I think uh, part of your question was sort of any last thoughts and, and you know, you mentioned that <laughs> philosophically it sounded great. So I thought I'd throw in uh, some more tactical um, things to at least keep in mind or mention in a short podcast. Uh, but one thing I've seen a lot is everyone, the family and the advisors, tends to relax their best practices because it's a family situation. Well, sure, if I were going into a partnership with someone else, I would do all kinds of due diligence before I entered that partnership. But it's my brother, so we don't have to worry about that. And I would say part of relationship risk management would be uh, if you're going to go into a partnership with your family, you should do all of the due diligence you would on an outsider and more because the relationships are so valuable. Um, and a quick example would be uh, work to the family that put together a, a family LLC to invest in venture capital funds, which require capital calls that flow back to each of the siblings. And so the lawyers, of course, said, wrote into the agreement, the draft agreement, if you don't make your capital call, well, we just consider it a loan. And I stepped in and suggested you do the exact opposite. That's kind of how we wish families worked. We don't have to worry about it if you don't meet your obligation to your siblings. I wanted to make it so draconian that we would never have one sibling miss the capital call and let the other siblings down. Great so then advice. it just never comes up. Because I've, we've had guests on our, this podcast before who talk about the secrets that other family members don't actually know. So when you talk about doing due diligence, does your potential partner have you know, a poor history with managing money? Do they have a substance use disorder? Have they had many failed businesses? Would be a really important conversation to have before entering into any kind of business, I would think. Yeah, and you pointed out earlier, um, you know, how exactly do, do the advisors even know about some of these problems? Uh, so that's sort of a, I don't want to use the term know your client, but um, everybody needs to be more attuned to the issues that you're raising uh, in your practice and your podcast. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Tavin. We really appreciate your thoughts, your candor, and some ideas that I think will really give our listeners something to think about as they're approaching families and as they're thinking, as we like to call it, beyond the balance sheet, which is obviously something we're passionate about. So thank you for joining us today. Thanks to all our listeners. Please feel free to write us if you have any questions or ideas for guests. And please also like us on your podcast platform of choice. And we hope you'll listen to our next episode coming soon. Thank you for listening to Beyond the Balance Sheet, a podcast designed to help advisors, clinical professionals, and affluent families solve some of their biggest medical, psychiatric, and emotional challenges. Visit beyondthebalancesheet.com to read more about our guests and resources and sign up for our newsletter.